0: We can see these two universal aspects of the philosophy of language and practical effect in the recent and ongoing arguments regarding the meaning of the words sex and gender. Empirically, just as with water and person, the meaning of the two words come together or separate depending on the goes, either normative or pragmatic, and thus on the telology of those using the words and trying to make them useful. Empirically, the word gender was taken from linguistics and incorporated into problems dealing with differences among the male and female sexes by psychiatrists, dealing with individuals who were hermaphrodites, androgynous, or had other unusual sexual characteristics, such as bodies that appear female but have XY chromosomes. As with all words, even the word sex, commonly used to mean a distinct biological male-slash-female distinction, has some vagueness and ambiguity, ambiguity, which is true of all words, because language is a social construct whose meaning is dependent on the context of its use and usefulness. Empirically and scientifically, defining sex and given it meaning, involves many factors of physical attributes, chemicals in the body, and even conceptual genetic combinations that are not as clear and distinct as, commonly, as is commonly assumed. For example, if we really wanted, we could have more than two biological sexes, consisting of one male, two female, three hermaphrodites, hermaphrodites four intersex or androgynous individuals, Uh, Five individuals that have what's called gonadodigenesis. I probably mispronounced that, but this consists of women with XY chromosomes. That is, women with the male XY chromosomes. And six infertile persons could be considered a separate sex. If we really wanted, we could probably have uh, many more. However, there was no reason to have any more than two until the 1970s when femis- feminists picked up on this sex-gender distinction uh, being used by some psychiatrists in a practical way to try to break the association of what they considered to be socially constructed male behaviorable, behavioral characteristics that were associated with the male sex and what they considered to be socially constructed female behavioral characteristics that were associated with the female sex. In other words, what was a very limited practical use and usefulness for the words sex and gender by a limited number of psychiatrists for a specific purpose because of a certain teleological goal or normative goal Uh, the feminist goal of making females equal to males in every aspect. As with the water person meaning change, feminist theory, through their teleological normative goal of empowering the female sex by eliminating what they consider to be an unequal power balance in favor of the male sex, supposedly this goal was to equalize power between the sexes, Thus you see here the first universal aspect of the philosophy of language and practice at work. Now as to the second aspect, regardless of whether one disputes the soundness or validity of the teleological, teleological goal and arguments, in the last few years, these arguments and the teleological goal has been accepted by the law, academia, and ethics, along with the underlying Feminists go based on an assumed metaphysics and physics that justifies the change in meaning of gender for now, but eventually will most likely also change the meaning of sex to create more than two sexes, biological sexes. That is, as I contemplated elsewhere, elsewhere, the ultimate goal of this change in meaning for the words sex and gender, and the change in the underlying foundational metaphysics and physics appears to be not the creation of a utopia on earth, but a heaven on earth, in which society consists of humans that are sexless angels. That is, just as in heaven there will be no sexes or genders, just a bunch of angelic people following the powers that be and worshipping them as gods. Thanks to this teleological process taking over the monopoly on violence, which we call the law, a sex, sexless and genderless society in which individuals pretend to create their own sex and gender seems to be our foreseeable future, absent some, some catastrophe or revolution. This takes us to the second universal aspect of philosophy of language and practice. What effect would these changes in meaning for sex and gender have upon reality? Does the change in language change reality? Uh, Despite everyone involved pretending to know, no one really knows the answer to this question, as this second universal aspect requires and states. Despite our inability to determinatively define sex empirically, as is true for all words and for all definitions, because all words and all definitions are vague social constructs, uh, which is thus true for all for the meaning of all words, including the words for biological sex and gender. Despite the fact that all words are vague, vague in all known sense experience, we know there are two and only two. Two sexes, two sexes, biological sexes, for purposes of reproduction, which is a fairly important aspect of reality. These two male and female biological sexes are necessary for persons to reproduce and thus for societies to continue living. Heaven may be sexless, but heaven does not need physically to reproduce as humans do. Even for test tube babies, we will need a male and a female contribution to the tube and only a male and a female contribution. Of course, life was not always divided into fa- male and female. For hundreds of millions of years and perhaps for billions of years, life consisting of a single cell and even multiple cell individual lives reproduced and, and prospered without two. two sexes, that is, biological sexes, and without any sexes or genders, just individuals. This seems to be the future desired by those who presently control our social will to power to change the meaning in the word game of language of the words sex and gender, as it will soon be doing with the word game language of water and person. But will this change in language succeed in changing reality? Or would, or would it just create a language that is a delusional reality, having little, if anything, to do with reality? If reality does not go along with our language telling it what to do, what then? Perhaps would the cockroach have the last laugh on all of us? As this second aspect of philosophy and language points out, and that is priorly prior contemplated in the episodes on ethics, teleologically, normatively, those powers that have the power to change the meaning of words don't really care what the answer to this question is. They their goal is what the world ought to be, not what it is. If what they think ought to be will destroy the world, that does not change their that will not change their goals, their concepts of ethics, or their teleological goals. This is why it is important for the working class. To keep these two aspects in mind, for the ruling classes in philosophy of language, as in every, as in everything else, including ethics, politics, metaphysics, physics, whatever, power is an end in itself, and this is the constant struggle that we will have with them.